Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, you're listening to My Millennial Answers, and I've got a special guest today, Victoria Devine from She's on the Monet. Hi. Hi, how are you? Well, thank you. How are you? Good. Thanks for coming on. I was in sunny Melbourne, and I thought I would swing around and catch up. Have a chat. Because it's weird being behind a mic again. I know. So, tell me, so you've just finished your first season. I have. And you've broken the podcasting internet. I hope so. Yeah. Trying hard. Trying hard. So, killing it. Absolutely killing it. Great response. Um, and it's funny, like, you know, we don't listen to each other's episodes. I sometimes much. listen to yeah. yours, if I'm being honest. I was... Um, like, oh, what's, he, what's his opinion on this? I was on, on the subway <laughs> in New York and I had a 30-minute little subway thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I played one of your episodes. I forget which one. And I learned something. Oh, impressive. Forget what I learned, but... I a lot, something. a, a lot. lot. You learn a, a lot. lot. You probably learn a lot about your money story and I where did. it came from and how it worked. I'm a child of light. Yes, and, good. And my story and my money and all that. I am so glad. So, yeah, quick update. You're... You're working on next season. I am, which is very exciting. I get yeah. lots of messages on Instagram and Facebook about when it's coming back. So back off for everyone. It's coming soon. Well, soon-ish. 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 We're working on it. As you guys know, I like to make sure that the content is on point and that doesn't take two minutes. Yeah. Any uh, Anything you can leak to us or do you want to keep it as a nah, surprise? No, it's all secret, I right. reckon. Okay. It is coming and it is in the works and I'm very excited to bring it to you guys very, very soon. Sweet. Awesome. The cool thing is we share listeners. Um, people like to hear from you. You're considered. You're measured. You're on point. Thank you. I'm loose. Um, I don't really care about anything. <laughs> and yeah, we, we share listeners. So uh, I just thought I'd. We get, do. I like the overlap. I yeah, get a few messages good. sometimes. They're like, oh, Glenn Same. said this. What do you think? And to be honest, I love it. It keeps us accountable. Yeah, totally. Like, so, well, Victoria said. Yeah. So it's the same team here, people. Same team. Um, except she's on the money's better. Except she's no. on the money's better. No, it's no, true. No, it no, is. No. It, it's different. It's different. So, um, hey, bit of an update for everybody. Yes. What we, have you got to tell us? Well, I've got. There's a couple of big announcements coming. Big announcements. As Donald Trump would say, huge. Yeah, but that's fake news. It's fake news. <laughs> it's fake news. It's a huge announcement. I've got a lot of friends. Oh, gosh. Please stop. <laughs> I'm going to kick you out of my office if this continues. So, um, yeah. So, My Millennial Money, we've got some big announcements coming uh, in the coming are weeks. Are you going to share them? I know them, but are you going to share them no, with everybody else? No, All right. No. Um, but we were talking just before about a She's on the Money slash My Millennial Money Joint Christmas, Christmas party. party. So, this is what's going to go down, people. I'm proposing we do Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. I think that sounds like a I mean, whole bunch of fun. I would do Radelaide and Perth, but... But what? <laughs> we need a freaking sponsor to help pay for this. Yeah, we do. That's a lot. So, if you are listening and if you've got a national company... And you want to get behind our Christmas party event because the My Millennial Money events that John and I run, we basically run them at a loss. Yeah, and I run my She's on the Money events at a loss as well, actually. Just to kind of get out there and, you know. It's giving back to the community, which is really exciting. And I think that then extends a little bit further as well. So, if you're listening and you're like, look, I really want to come to this, here's the perfect sponsor. Send it our way. Tell us who we should be having a chat with. So, it will be a live Christmas party event. We'll probably do it at the start of December, I would imagine. I reckon. Late November, start of December. So, we're not in the way of everybody else's Christmas um, parties. Food, drinks a live money session or something. If we've got an event sponsor, they can talk about their products and services of how they can add value. And like anything, any type of commercial sponsor thingy, we would not get some snake oil biatch 
up there who we don't think has got a good thing happening. Absolutely. They have to be vetted, not just by Glenn, but also by me. Oh, and as you guys can tell from my lack of sponsorship on my, my podcast, I'm savage. Yeah. So, anyway. So, what do you guys think? Let us know. Put it up in our Facebook groups if you do want to come to a joint Christmas party. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I'm super pumped even just from the idea. I reckon it'll be a whole yeah, heap of... Totally. So, that's a little bit of an update from us on the money side. We did talk about doing a joint video thing, but I think we're too busy at the moment. I am so busy at the moment. I, I wish I could tell everybody what up. I'm working on, yeah. but it's one of those things where you have to be a little bit secret squirrel. Yeah. Um, so, once all of that comes out, you guys will know why I haven't been on the podcast yeah. and why we haven't put a season back to back. You're the same though. You've got so many exciting oh, things happening. I, I mean, and yeah, it's just amazing. It's just really amazing that, you know, the testimonies that we're getting of people whose lives are being changed for good. And it's so exciting. Regardless of if you listen to any of our episodes, you know, there might be an episode about freaking collecting stamps and selling them and making money. Like, that's not going to be relevant to you. But the fact that you're listening, you're connected, you're dialed in, you're being encouraged. That's what 100%. it's all about. It is all about being a part of the community. And I think that the best part about this is, you know, sometimes things aren't going to be absolutely relevant to you, but it's really cool to learn about other people's stories as well and see what they're doing and how they're saving. And it might not be applicable, but maybe that'll come up at brunch one day and you'll have a chat with a friend and say, oh my God, you should do this. I'm not going to do this, but that'd work for you. And it's a really empowered place to be. Totally. So, we're going to get into some questions from the My Millennial Money listeners. Let's do it. Uh, but I am looking forward to hearing from She's on the Money Season 2, which is going to be out before you know it, people. It better be. Before you, <laughs> before you know it. Coming soon. All right. With a flashy banner. So, that was a bit of an update. Um, Let's do these questions. Brianna. Brianna asks, what are the most effective ways to build and maintain a good credit score? And when should I start? Is this like investment where I say, the best time to start was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. <laughs> well, you know, as I pick up my peppermint tea here. You're welcome. It's like one of these hold my beer, hold my peppermint tea things because I'm about to have a bit of a rant. Yeah, I know. You're about to get up in arms. The guy's just literally holding his tea cup. So, okay. So, the whole thing with credit score is number one you will get an inquiry on your credit profile with a credit bureau when you first get either a power bill or a mobile phone contract because you are technically in credit to that company or in debt to that company for that month, okay? So, in Australia, there is no national credit score that sits over everybody like through the ATO or the government. There are four major credit bureaus in Australia and each of them will have your own credit file. So, different companies will use different bureaus. Now, with when you're going for a home loan, those banks or lenders will run a report. They might even go to the four main bureaus and get data and build their own credit profile based on all the information they've got from you or from your file. So, I guess what I'm saying is, the best thing ever that you can do for your own credit is to pay your bills on time, actually keep out of debt if you don't, like, you don't need debt for day-to-day crap anyway. 100%. Um, pay bills on time, keep out of debt, money in the bank, and if you get to the point where you want a mortgage and you've got 50 grand saved and you've got a good history of paying your rent and the bank or lender says, we're not doing it because they've got a bad credit history, tell them to get stuffed and find another lender. That's yeah, what I would say. And that's where a good broker comes in, right? Absolutely. Like if you've got a good relationship with your broker, they're going to know about that up front as well. And I've been pretty quiet while you're talking about that because I agree with all of it. Mm. I think the one thing I do want to add there though is that we do not need you to get credit cards to get credit scores. Thank you. Because a lot of people in my group, and I'm sure in yours, Glenn, go, mm. oh, which credit card should I get? My dad told me to get a credit card yeah. so like I could build credit. Yeah, your dad's wrong. Your dad is unfortunately wrong. Means well, but he's wrong. Absolutely. Having a credit card doesn't actually impact your credit score at all by having one just because you paid off. Having a, having a credit rating isn't reflective of your 
ability to be serviceable, it's actually a reflection of you not being able to manage your money to begin with. So having personal loan, whether that's for a car or a holiday, is actually not a good reflection of you being a credit credit worthy person. Yeah. So I think, you know, number one thing, no, you do not need a credit card to have a good credit score. What you actually just need to do is stay out of debt, pay your bills on time, don't let them lapse into being too late mm. and make sure you just are on top of your money story. And and the whole thing is like, I don't think it's about having a good credit score because that's so American. It's about just having a clean credit file. And that means less entries, less inquiries and just being on top of your money. Because in the States, people, as my good friend Dave Ramsey says, yeah. uh, who runs a podcast, and I'm for those wondering... I wish I could call him my good friend. Well, I've cool. met him. I've been on his show. It's two steps hot there. Um, he's coming to Australia in February. Cheers and, for the intro. And I've actually put a request in with their team and some other channels to try and get him on my podcast. Hey, that's really exciting. Guys, yeah. rally for that. I want to hear it. Yeah. So, anyway, so he says in America, like, don't worship at the altar of the FICO score. Yes. Because in America, your credit score affects your car insurance, your health insurance, your rental applications, every freaking thing in the world. And it's just not the same in Australia. No. And I think that we are dictated a lot by American culture and Absolutely. British culture as well. And it's just not the same. Yep. I think if you want to learn more about it, there's some really great resources on like the Money Smart website, which is a place I like to send a lot of our listeners to because it's just really clean, clear advice and it's released by the government. There's no lack of clarity around whether it's right or wrong and it's a good a friend of mine had to email them to say they had incorrect information on there all right cool so just wipe (laughs) out what i've just said but But they do listen they do listen to yeah good it's your friend who's saving my butt here cheers yeah um but yeah a credit score is something that you need to build over time and it doesn't actually mean that you need credit to create it not once in my life have i actually worried about building and maintaining a good credit score No, and that's probably a reflection of you being in a really good financial position for a lot of that. Whereas I think we probably should also touch on what happens if you have a bad credit score. Like, what do you do? How do you fix it? Well, you've got to to wait for time to heal all wounds. Exactly. Get rid of your debts, pay stuff off, prioritize getting out of debt because that will increase your credit score. So, I think it's also important to go, well, what what the hell actually is a credit score? It's a rating out of a thousand. So, if you sit above 800, you are an excellent credit score. And anything below, I think it's 500 is but not it al- so but great. But it also means nothing because the credit bureaus, there's four major credit bureaus, each bank. So, Telstra, for example, they their main preferred bureau is Equifax. Yeah. So, if you, if you, for example, a brand new customer to Telstra and you're 18 years old, they'll run your name and details from Equifax Equifax will come back with they're not on file. They may then go to Experian or other credit providers. And then if they can't find you, they will know that you have not got a credit file. And then they will make you a credit file with Equifax. Yeah. So, again, we've probably covered too much on the credit stuff, but it's just not an issue. Don't it's a non-issue, ma- but I think we've talked about it because so many people yeah, feel like it is. And people major on the minors. Yeah. So, yeah, don't worry about your freaking credit score. Pay off your bills. Save money. Don't have credit cards that go overdue. Don't have them at all. I don't use them for day-to-day. Other people might. That's sweet. Just keep it clean. Agreed. Okay. Jacob. Jacob asks, should I set up individual investment bond accounts per child or increase what I put in one? So, we'll make the example. Jacob's got three children. He wants to save for their future. Uh, he might have already had an investment bond account uh, for the first child and he wants to add for his other spawn. Um, so, shout out, Jacob. Thanks for writing that in. I think if we step back there, regardless of the investment vehicle, it's a discussion about investing for our children's future. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there are so many different ways you can invest for a child's future and it just depends on which financial advisor you speak to as to what type of advice they will give. Yeah. You and I, Glenn, were having this conversation before around our opinion of bonds and how I don't use them very often whereas you really like them and the yield on them is quite similar. So, it's not as though you'll be in a better off or a worse off position 
based on them. It's just the style. Yeah. 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 Whereas a more hands-on advisor who picks stocks, i.e. what I do, you know, we're looking for the same levels of return or higher, but it also requires a lot more administration. And I think that that needs to be brought to the table too. Yeah. Whereas if you're saving for your child's future, maybe something that's a little bit more set and forget, like a bond might work for you. Totally. But I would seek advice on it if yeah. I was honest. So, to Jacob's specific question, um, I'll use the example which I've shared on the show before. I've got a niece, Grace, and two twin nephews that are six years old or seven. Cute. Or eight. I forget. Oh, gosh. You're not a very good uncle. No. But I'll be good when I freaking give them a new car or a home deposit in 20 years. Yeah, okay. You can't bite their love, Glenn. <laughs> I'm glad you're I, trying. I, the, the twins, Jeffrey and James, I still don't know which one's which because they're identical. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Come on, Glenn. I'm the worst. So, okay. So, basically, I was getting sick of buying them crap presents for Christmas and birthdays. So, I made the decision I'm putting money in an investment account uh, for the kids every year. Yeah, nice. Okay. So... I have taken the view that they have an investment bond each and the same with my client's kids. There's an investment bond per child. Now, a couple of reasons. One, the products that I use, there's no fee difference for having all in one bond or three separate ones. Yeah, because it's a base level to be on the platform fee, right? Yeah, it's a rock up, you're there. So, there's no fee difference. I like it because as the kids get older... Unky Glenn will show them their investment accounts each and they'll know that Unky Glenn isn't mean because he hasn't bought Christmas presents that he's been putting... Still mean. I'm still mean. He's been putting money in the investment bonds every Christmas, every birthday. Yeah. So, I think from just a visual optics looking in, you can actually separate them so the kids can have their own little investments. Yeah, and furthering that in the way that I might distribute that, I would much prefer you to organise something that was in that child's name as well because often what I do is buy shares that are quite direct and when you are buying shares directly, you need to sell them down to split them between a number of different entities. So if you've got three kids and you own one type of share and a lot of that share, you have to sell it down to distribute it and I don't think that that's good because what... What happens when those kids get to of an age when they need to access them? Maybe they want to hold their shares. Maybe they don't want you to sell them down because it's such a good asset and it's yielding great dividends and great growth and they just want to leave that asset there. So, I think it's nice to have it in their own names because then also going back to financial education, you can start talking to them about their ownership of their shares and what their future looks like and why you should be prioritizing these things. It's not just about, oh, there's a whole heap of money there and when they're of age, we'll distribute it between them. Like I really want to talk about financial literacy and like starting kids off young, understanding why that's important. Yeah. And I guess for me to also have that separate is educate each child and give them the opportunity to put their own money into their bond. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the cool thing as well, you touched on it, like the reason I want the money separate, Grace is a lot older by two years, not a lot, but two years older. It might be cleaner if she wants to carve out her portion without causing a CGT event for the rest of the pool or whatever. Yeah, I think it's really important um, to just have it in their own name. And I guess, and the differences, like with financial planning, it's pretty much what's our long-term goals. We need, we know we need X amount invested in Y. The third and the final thing is then tax structure and investment housing. So, like you said before, it could be just the style of advisor based on your situation. Yeah. Um, So, for me, and the reason I use bonds for the, my nieces and nephews was because it's separate to my own personal tax return. And if Unky Glennie dies, the bonds, the kids are listed as beneficiaries. Yeah. So, the accounts will flick automatically into their name and there's a note on each bond. It's non-binding, but it's a note that each kid can access this money after age 25. I love the age 25 thing. I have this conversation with a lot of clients who are saving for their children's future and 25 is what I recommend. When you're 18, you're crazy about cars. When you're 21, you want to party. When you're 25, you're getting a little bit serious and realise you have to work and it's really nice to have a house deposit at that point, isn't it? Totally. Yeah. So, in my will, because I don't have my own spawn, 
Is it funny that I call it smog? It's really strange, It's awkward, Glenn. yeah. So, and I've mentioned this before. My life's a freaking open book, but whatever. Um, in my own will, if I was to die tomorrow, um, I've got life insurance connected to my disability cover. I don't need all this life insurance, but it's connected to my my crap. Um, each kid gets 200 grand to go on trust yep. until they're 30 years old. I like that. Because, and the only reason I did 30 because... Over the next 20 years, 200 grand is going to freaking grow. Exactly. And also the will says if they're in jail, nah. If they're on drugs, nah. But they can approach the trustee for life-broadening experiences and education. So, for example, if they're 18 years old, Uncle Glenn died 20 years ago, I can apply to the trustee to take out 10 grand to go on a trip to Europe. Hey, that's pretty cool. So, there's some flexibility. And that goes to like, we were talking about this estate off topic planning. before, estate planning. It's so important like, and it can be really interesting. T- I love it. Like, don't get your freaking will from the post office. Go pay a freaking accountant and do it properly. But before oh, not you an accountant, a solicitor. A solicitor. But before you go and have a chat with a solicitor, do your research, understand what you actually want in your will. And you can be as creative as you want. It's up to that solicitor to tell you, look, that's probably not going to work. Look, this is the way super works. This is the way this is going to distribute so that you understand it. But be as creative as you want to be in understanding what you want. So don't just say, oh, I guess it'll all go to my partner. And if it doesn't go to my partner, it can go to my kids. Like put rules in place. Like what you've done, Glenn, is fantastic because it sets up the money in a way that you would want it and the way that you would make decisions in your actual life if that's what you were doing. Yeah, one step further, I've created the will and I've I've got I've recently edited the will and retweaked it and they've issued a new one. I don't know what they did. We signed something uh, because I changed the charity that I wanted the money to go to. Yeah. Um, I then so I got the will. And I made my best friend the executor. Yep. Because I can bank on Tim. And it's removing my parents or my nieces and nephews or my sister at this time. And it may change when I get married. Um, that it's just purely uh, executing my wishes. So, non-emotional. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's really important. Totally. And I think that that's something that's really, you know, we're getting on to an estate planning conversation. You are welcome, guys. Yeah, what up? But I think it's really important to realize that the person who has your best interests at heart and is the person that you might want to nominate as the executor of your will might not be the most financially or fiscally responsible person. And you can actually segregate those things. Totally. So, there is one person that can make decisions about your life and about your situation. And there's another that can make the financial decisions and manage that for you. So, they don't have to be the same. Yeah, and that's right. So, for me, um, my friend Tim Cooper, he's got full power of attorney on me financially. Yeah. So, if I'm overseas and I need someone to go down to a bank or sign something, he can do that. But my family have medical decisions and lifestyle decisions. Yeah, it's really important. If I become a vegetable or whatever. So, yeah, for me, I've split it up that, um, yeah, my friend executing my wishes, you know, very much, um, uh, what's that... um, What's the um, science term? It's either off or on. Like, what are you talking about? It's yes or no. Like very verbatim. No. Binary. Binary. That's it. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, a so, binary decision. Yeah. So the financial side of it is very binary. Yeah. It's like yes or no. It either is or where, it isn't. Depending on the medical event that's caused me to be half a freaking vegetable, um, and I'm being very dramatic, but you know I know that people go through this stuff the family can have a bit more discretion in my care. Yeah, and I rate that. I think it's really important. within all that, I did the wills and I wrote an email to my family, my mum, my dad, my sister, and Tim Cooper, my friend, and said, hey guys, the original will, it's at Aubrey Brown Lawyers at Tugra. By the way, this is what it says. And I was like, Oprah, you get 200 grand, you get 200 grand. You know, so after that's done and the charities are done, then the rest of the money's split 50-50 between mum and dad and my sister. But if my sister doesn't survive, my mum gets it and my dad gets it's it. It's complex. So, but what I did, I basically said, this is what my will and estate plan says. If you've got a problem with it, I suggest you ask me now and I can talk to you about it. 
Because yeah. <laughs> but then, then that is a really lucky position to be in as well because a lot of people aren't in a position to have that conversation with friends or family at that point in their lives. Totally. So, you can execute it, but speak to your solicitor about... Yeah, get advice. ...how binding those decisions are because sometimes in a will or, you know, in a super outline, just because you've said you want it to happen might mean that it doesn't. Mm. So... Have a chat to a solicitor. Hey, just a reminder, we run two other podcasts, My Millennial Money Property. It's about property. That's all. And if you're under 23 years old, Gen Z Money, it's for you. Check them out now wherever you're listening to this podcast. Have you got time for two more? Yeah, let's do it. What's the time? Three thirds. Three thirds. Nick. I would like to hear about money management for small business um, such as tax, GST, super, etc. Oh, Nick, I'm glad you asked. There is a small business cash flow module on my online course. Subtle plug. I know. <laughs> Subtle plug. I need a course. I need to be able to plug it. I know. Get one. Do you reckon I should get one? Should get one. Shout out. Shout out. Get let me online. know if, if any of my She's on the Money fans are listening and you want an online course, let me know what you want in it. And I'll work out what, what I can What do. about I give you my course to sell to your family and I give you an affiliate link so you can I don't want an affiliate link. <laughs> <laughs> not a chance. Not a chance. I'll be your friend. I'm not your business partner. <laughs> not your business partner. But do you know what I want to talk about? Mm. Nick starting a small business. Yeah, do it. What's your number one tip? My number one tip, tip for starting a small business is... It will cost double what you think and take double the time that you think. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Is I that too philosophical? Do you want like practical in the trenches? No, no, no. I like this, but I also think I'm, I'm more practical and in the trenches. Okay. I think yours it, is very valid. Sure. Okay. My number one tip, you've got to focus on how you're going to get customers. Agreed. And my tip is know your obligations. Know what you need to do. How much tax do you need to pay? Oh, okay. So, yeah, on the actual back-end side. Yeah. Like, yeah. know how you're going to get customers. Hopefully, if you're planning on starting a small business, you're in a position where you know where your customers going to yeah, come from. Yeah, but you can't just build it and they will come. So, that's why you really need to be very sure. So, I spent the first year in my business um, focusing not on getting direct clients, but focusing on people that could send me clients. Smart. Very smart. So, that was my... Because I was never going to cold call or do random things like, hey, do you want a financial advisor? I've never cold called either. And I would never, ever do it. So, I focused on mortgage brokers, accountants, solicitors, people that I could add value to with their clients. Yeah. So, that's kind of, yeah, number one, but... I guess that's for our style of business though. Totally. So, hopefully they can get across it. what if Nick is a wall and floor tiler? Let's use that as the example. All right, if Nick's a wall and floor tiler, yep. my my advice is still know your obligations. Yep. So, have you registered your business? What does that look like? How are you actually going to keep track of your money? Did you do Glenn's spending plan for your business? Yep. Which, do you understand your superannuation obligations? Are you paying yourself super? So many small business owners mm. are not paying themselves super and not setting I, themselves up for the future yeah. and it drives me crazy. I didn't pay myself super for the first three years. Look, we've all been there as business owners yeah. where you kind of trade it off and you see well, it, it as like, an investment I... in your future yeah, as and... opposed to an investment in your super. But if you're working as a tiler, set the expectation up front that a percentage of your income totally. goes towards super. And even if you're not able to pay a full 9.5%, Just pay, some. pay something, pay some. And if that means that sometimes at tax time you realise you've got some cash left over, maybe that's then a good period of time for you to dump some into super. So, I would probably say, can I just also jump in and say- No jumping. It's cool. This is cool because I haven't chatted with like another financial advisor, like free jive like this. Why not? Or like uh, on the podcast. Oh, right. Like John's the property dude and all that stuff and he's great. But in terms of this level of like estate planning, anyway. It's fun, isn't it? It's just fun. We get to talk about our fun shit. And okay, so yeah, absolutely. You've just got to know your obligations. Mm -hmm. And the biggest rule, people, you've got to separate your business accounts. So- Yeah, agreed. If you are a wall and floor tiler or 
uh, if you're a hairdresser working renting a chair from someone else's salon or something like yeah. that, you'd probably be a sole trader, which means you've just got one tax return and it's Glenn's hairstyling trading as Glenn James. That's beautiful. Or whatever it is. Okay. So, that just means your business account, it can just be another personal bank account. You don't have to go to the yeah, bank so there's and ask absolutely for a no, business account, quote unquote. Yeah, there's no actual government obligation that you have a business banking account set up. It just makes life easy. So, what I say in the um, small business cash flow course, set up your business cash flow plan like your personal one. Yep. You might have a cash hub where all your money comes into. You might have an account for tax. You might have an account for GST and you might have a, an account for some longer term savings. So, so you can have as many accounts as you want. Exactly. So, like, you can have whatever you would like to set up. If you want to set up an account that just pays for stationery, you can set that up. But I think the three things that I see here is that setting up business banking makes it really clean. It's a really easy ta come tax time. It also makes your tax obligations a lot easier, your super obligations a lot easier. As you grow, your staffing obligations mm. a lot easier. It makes it easier for your clients to pay you and track that. Totally. And make it really clean. And then also banking on the go. Really handy. So, I would also say, I tell a lot of my small business clients, the sooner, or, the sooner you can get to the point where you're paying your personal cash hub a weekly or fortnightly salary from your own business, the better because it will make your home personal life easier because the business account might fluctuate. Yep. So, your goal might be, I just want to get to a, and this could be a lot of money for some people, I just want to get to a five or a 10 grand float in the business yep. account. And then I can set $800 a week from that business account over to my cash hub and then I can do my personal banking. Yeah, I'd so, agree with that. So, I think, yeah, with the small business stuff, you just need to get it as automated, as systemated and systemated as possible. Um, and yeah, with the super stuff, there's no legal mandate as a sole trader that you have to pay yourself super. Yeah. But if you threw in a couple hundred dollars a month, at least as a starting point, that could be a goer. Yeah, that's I th also I think not financial it, advice. No, <laughs> not general general advice. Only. It's not even general advice. It's just a money tip. <laughs> um, I think it's really important to just have it be clean. And also, banking apps nowadays, like it's actually a nightmare. Like we in my business have mm. accountants, mm. and so we work with a lot of businesses that some of them have not separated out their business and their personal. Come tax time, printing out bank statements and highlighting the things that have been business expenses it becomes a bit of a nightmare. It is so much easier when clients come in, they're like, cool, here's my banking debit card statement. Everything on here has been a business-related expense. This is this. But also, apps these days are fantastic. So, you can get all of these reports, see how many transactions are going on and get really valid data. And that mm. then goes to like programs like MyOb and Zero, and, you know, deeper Fresh insights. All but that, yeah. all of that that are really great, but you can't really separate it out properly if it's got your personal spending and yeah, your business yeah, spending. And, and it's just cloudy. And to be honest, draw a line in the sand. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, so our number one tip to Nick is separate your small business accounts. But another... I've got another one. Yeah, yeah. Do I'll add more tips. Yeah, because yeah, I've got one other one as well. I bet it's the same as mine. All right, let's I try. I reckon it's get yeah. expert advice. No, All right, but well, that's a good one. Let's just scrap that then. Yeah, no, no, no it's get good. expert advice. Totally. Go You're see a tiler. Like we, we decided that Nick was a tiler. Yeah. You're not an accountant. You're not a financial advisor. Outsource the things you're not good at mm. so that you can get expert advice and always be in the best position it might not mean that you take all of the advice and that's the good thing about advice you don't have to take it if it doesn't work for you totally. but a good financial advisor or accountant will give you advice that works for you totally and i would say as well like if you are wanting to start your business as soon as you start that business so nick you get you're a tyler or you're employed the minute you start your own business first and foremost you are not a tyler you're a small business owner You've got to know how to run a business and that is get work, get the work done and send the invoice. The tiling is hygiene. The tiling has That's your to be service. Good. That's the, the thing your business is yeah, selling. That's right. So, I use the analogy in a presentation I did a million years ago. You could be the best freaking baker in the world, 
but you might make no money when you open your freaking bakery because you can't run a freaking business. So the craft, the tool, the trade has to be hygiene. You have to be good. It has to take care of itself because you can't be out there trying to learn how to tile good when you're running your own business because there's bigger things that you have to be getting good at. So the trade, the service, the whatever it is, has to be good. It has to be hygiene. Yeah, and this is becoming, I guess, a little bit philosophical and that's the conversation around how much time should you be spending working in your business versus on your business and what is the value of that and where are you going? If you're just a sole trader and you're happy with the income that you've got, you probably don't need to spend a lot of time working on the business, just working in it, getting it done. But if you've got this big vision and you want it to grow, you actually need to allocate some pretty serious time to working on it to actually achieve that. Absolutely. And we'll finish up with Georgia. What do I love this question. Yeah, yeah. it's It's a banger. What do you do if you're in a better money situation than your partner and you're saving for a house together? Congrats, gal pal. Oh. That's amazing. Do you ever talk about your personal life on your podcast? I don't. Not very often at all. Do you do it today? I can have a chat today. In fact, I was interviewed last week by a lovely lady called Casey who interviewed me on relationships and money for WIM, which is an online magazine, which was very cool. So, Mm. you can read a little bit about that. But I'm quite a private person by nature. I love talking to people. But the Mm. second you ask me a personal question, seize up. What's your your partner's name? His name's Steve. Steve. What's what's he do for work? Steve works... um, in marketing oh. at a bank. Oh. Crazy. I know. And how long you've been a thang? For a while now. Yeah, nice. Long enough to live together. Yeah. And do we Lucky sh- him. Do, you, <laughs> do we share our money? We don't. No. Oh. We are both fiercely independent. And it is one of those things that we are in a situation where we have a house together and we live together and those things don't actually have to cross over. We don't have any dependence and we're in a position where we're both financially stable enough, luckily, to not not need a shared account. So, at this so you've stage, got a joint venture. We've got a JV. <laughs> we live together. And you know what? I think it's pretty serious because we've got a cat. Oh, wow. But, yeah, we don't actually share finances. It's Why? something that we want. Why it, wouldn't you? It's not a why wouldn't it we? Hmm. It's not even a thing that we're avoiding. Hmm. It's just the way our relationship has fallen into place. Right. It just, we don't share and it's not a bad thing. And I'm sure as our situation changes, it'll change. I've got, I'm not opposed to it. He's not opposed to it, but. But it it just goes back to, um, you know, I'm quite vocal. If you're in a long-term relationship, blah, 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 share your money. But that's only because that's how I would do it. Yeah. You've got to find the system that works for you and own it. Yeah, but also be aware that that system might not work forever. Exactly. So, like, what I'm doing right now works because we are independent. We are both professionals trying to carve out our career. We both have salaries that mean that we don't have to worry about what's going into a joint account or, you know, how we're going to pay rent. What do you do about, like, goals together? It just kind of becomes half-half. Right. It's not... Wow. It's a, oh, I'll book accommodation if you pay for the flights. All right. No problems. Is that how it works? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. very, it's, I like it. It's very open. So yeah. it's not about not sharing money stories. Yeah. Yeah. But I am fiercely independent. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, joking. I don't know if you noticed. No, I haven't picked it up. I don't up. think anyone would know that, but I'm fiercely independent. And I think that that's probably a reflection of it. Um, and it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's yeah. just the way it is. Yeah, I mean... Like, I, he knows my entire financial situation. Yeah. It's not a secret. I know his as well. And at the end of the day, like, if you guys separated and you've been living together for more than two years... Yeah. You, it's, you own each other's stuff anyway. Yeah, it is what law. it is under de facto law. Like, yeah. we live together. We have lived together for more than two years. Mm. Um and so, yeah, but I think chatting about money is something that you should be comfortable with with your partner, regardless of what your, I guess, money situation is, whether you share an account or don't share an account. It's a mm. juggling act. Yeah. Wow. And I guess like- <laughs> I'm impressed. You're so shocked that I, I don't am. share I money. I know. I am. I know. But uh, uh, you, you experience the world how you are, okay? So, if I was in a long-term relationship and we were sharing houses and lives- I would want to share money because in my mind, 
it would be easier to manage because all money goes into... Because in my online course, I teach, you get on the same page as your spouse or partner, all money goes into the cash hub and then we set out a system like that. Yeah, and, and do you know what? Spouse or partner makes sense. I've got no problem with it. And do you know what? Maybe it's a reflection of being busy and not of making well, my own financial and, position a priority. And maybe it's just the frog in the pot. You just keep on Haven't doing done what it. you keep doing. Yeah. 100%. So, Haven't done it. I reckon Plumber you guys- Plumber with a leaky tap, right? I reckon you guys, you should get a, a spending plan. Get a spending plan. The Glenn James spending plan. All right. <laughs> Imagine if I sold you one of my online I courses. Will, I will buy your spending plan. <laughs> How much is that? What? 60 bucks $69. or something? $69. Oh, $69. But you could use the code. Four. You could use the code HORSES. Is there a code HORSES? And you can get it for under $50. Who are you? Daryl Braithwaite? Yes. Okay, brilliant. <laughs> All right, so what do you tell Georgia? I think Georgia's in a fantastic position. It's not often a comfortable position, though. I think we need to start having more open, honest conversations around money because as much as it's uncomfortable, it's really necessary to have these chats with our partners and be on the same page. Now, we can't make assumptions about why she's in a better financial position. It could be because she's better at saving. They could have the same income. could also be because she's been in the workforce for longer and has had more time to save. So, like, let's make the assumption that she's just a better saver than he is because that's probably a more tumultuous or conversation. She's dating Amantha. Amantha. Isn't it a cougar when the chick's older? Amantha. What is I have no idea no, no, what so, you're no, talking no, no. about. This a is so different. Is you're dating an older chick. Yeah, maybe she's a cougar. And Amantha is a man who dates a younger chick. You are concerning. Yeah, I know, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, so back to what I'm trying yeah, to talk sorry. about here. Georgia is in a better financial position because for whatever reason. Yeah, but I think if we're going to talk about this, if she's in a better financial uh, if she's in a better financial situation because she's been better at saving, I think that's a conversation you need to have about being on the same page. So even though I said I don't share my finances yet with my partner, it's not through not wanting to, and we're completely transparent, and our spending habits are very similar. So whether we had a joint account or not, I actually don't think it would make a difference. Whereas if you're a saver and your partner is a spender, there can be some friction there and that can actually be something that, mm. you know, creates bigger issues in the relationship. So, have a think about that. But then if you're just ahead of him and not, there's a couple of things you can do. You're saving for a house together. You can either cut your losses and decide that you are saving for a house together and that money is the shared deposit mm. Or you can go into an agreement where you own 70% of the deposit, they own the remaining 30% and put a contract in place. So, if you purchase that property together, if you ever sell it, you get your 70% back. Like if there's a relationship breakdown. Would you do it like, would you split the title as tenants in common and give them 30% of the title? I don't, it depends on what their ongoing contribution to that property is. If it's just the deposit and it's not the monthly repayments, I'm just such an old white conservative guy in this world, aren't I? I think so. I'm just like. You're not used to this independent woman sitting across the table from you who wants to own her own thing. (laughs) Yeah, but no, but I, I just step back and it's like under law, it's all each other's anyway. But that's not how it portrays out. In the marketplace. Yeah, so, right. like, yes, under law, 50-50 split, et cetera, et cetera. If we wanted to get into a situation where we've got clients, and I go through this a little bit in my business where people split up and what's this and how's yeah. this work. There's so many rules and so many ways that they calculate what it's worth and how it works. And often if you can go, well, I came into the relationship with more, I did more, they were completely independent, they did this. Often it comes out as it is what it is and mm, split mm. differently to, 50 50 is the default but it's, and then there's negotiation on top of that it's just so funny like i had a, a client once and he wouldn't share his money with her she wanted to be all together she was the old white guy conservative like me yeah but he didn't want to and it's just interesting and that's why i don't think it's a women's rights thing in my mind it's just a practical thing because i said to him and I led him down the garden path. I'm like, oh, okay, so you you love her, clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a baby with her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Like, you live with her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I said, okay, so, she can have all of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just not your money. And it was like the zinger. Savage. And I just think, you know, we want to buy a house together. Absolutely. Is it our house together or... And that... It's just so hard. I can't Coming give, from a female perspective. I can't give relationship advice. Like, number one. No, no relationship advice from my millennial money. No, Look, no. it's not going to come from me either. But I do think that it is very personal. If I was going into a relationship where I wanted to purchase a home because of who I am, I'd want, you know, if it wasn't even, there'd be something in place that made me feel secure about that because I'm making a more significant investment. But that's because in my head... The average house deposit nowadays is a billion dollars. Yeah, for where I am is a really, really large sum of money. And it doesn't seem fair for me to go, oh, well, if this relationship doesn't work out, I'll cut my losses and you can just have half. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to now, uh, now we've had all this chat. If Georgia was my little sister and she came to me with this question, I'd probably be, I'd have to use my like, if I'd known my little sister had just started dating this guy, they'd been together two years and looking in, I'm like, oh, okay, you want to buy a house together? I'd be like- Protect yourself. Protect yourself, girl, whatever that looks like. Yeah. Get some proper advice from a solicitor. It could yeah. be the best $500 you've ever spent. Um, get Literally. some advice. Um, yeah, hope for the best, but just put some backstops in. Uh, but if they'd been together for eight years and had three kids and he was studying part-time and... But that's just it, right? Situational. Exactly. So, so like, you look at what I'm doing and it's kind of like, well, it's just the way it's worked out. But mm. we've not been in a situation where we have got married. We've not been in a situation where we're saving for a house together yet. We are not in a situation where we have children. Mm. I expect to share all of that then. But the thing that we do have that is good is that we're on the same page. Yeah, and it's only a problem if one of you don't, if one of you have a problem. Yeah, it. And, exactly. And then I guess further, it's only a problem if one of you have a problem with it and aren't telling the other person you've got a problem with it. Yeah, it's something that could work right now, mm. but would probably be a really big friction yeah. point if I was paying for children down the track mm. and it wasn't an equal split. Yeah, it's just so complex, this freaking life, isn't it? It's complex, but at the same time, it's knowing what your capabilities are and what you're willing to accept. And if you can sit back and go, you know what, this is how I want it to work. If you're getting into a relationship with someone and you're going to buy a house together, I'm assuming there's an implicit level of trust there. If you brought up that you wanted a contract in place, that person shouldn't care. If they do, is that not a warning sign? If they care know. about you going, look, if mm. you know this relationship dissolves and we have to sell this house, I want this from it. Is that not? Mm. Is that not a warning sign? Yeah. I don't know. I would feel really uncomfortable if someone said to me, "No, um, I want it all to be half half." I'd be like, "Well, what's the, what's that for? Like, yeah. I've got no intention of this to be ending." I'll t- and I'll end on this. Some of you might know. I mentioned it in the book. We're actually recording an episode in a couple of weeks on how to spot financial abuse in a relationship or if you've got family members in a relationship or close friends in a relationship, how to spot financial abuse. I love that. And it was something that I wanted to talk about on my next podcast, actually. Um, Maybe you can do an episode on it next season. Do an episode on it, I reckon. Do it. Um, But financial abuse is something that I don't think enough people know about. And it can be so detrimental. I sent out a request for people to send in their stories and then I've got voiceover people who have recorded the little things and it's anonymous and stuff. But some of the stuff, it's so crazy. And some of it, you know, you just were in a crap relationship and you did dumb things. Like that it wasn't, yeah. some of the stuff that came through wasn't actually abuse. It was just, no, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, and I can say that because I'm an idiot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a really cool episode and- I'm particularly keen to hear from the subject matter expert that we are interviewing who deals a lot in this space um, with how to spot financial abuse. No, that's really cool. I think we need to tackle that topic and actually talk more about the emotional side of money 
a lot more often than just going, oh, this is how to consolidate your super. What does this mean? How do you have relationship yeah, conversations? Yeah, and I mean like – What's that look like? But also financial abuse is great. Like how do you spot the signs? What does that look like? How do you keep yourself safe? But also how do you spot it in other people? Yeah, like how do I bring I, I it up? I would say like it's probably not normal if you're out and you made the comment like, oh, oh there's no way he'll let me buy that for me or there's no way she would let me have that. It's those little words. It's small things it's that the, compound. Yeah, it's the little things. Like, you should not need permission to spend freaking $25 on a freaking new top yeah. or T-shirt. So, it, And again, it's so personal. But yeah, mm. I'm so glad you're opening the conversation up around mm. that. It's really important. Totes. All right. Well, thanks for um, coming on My Millennial Answers today. Well, thank you for having me. And uh, it's kind of like... The real Victoria. She's been oh unleashed. Gosh, I haven't been unleashed at all. You've made me incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't show your partner. <laughs> hey, if he wants to be on social media and talking about all of that, he is more than welcome. Totally, totally. He I, can talk about I'm it. I'm pretty like open with my life on the podcast. Because I've got nothing to hide. I don't think I have anything to hide. No, no absolutely nothing. No, no, I just no don't got... think it's my story to tell. No, but it's, it's cool for you to. For, it's cool for me to ask the questions because yeah, you I might have listeners interested in wanting it. to know <laughs> an update from their Messiah. Oh wow, that's dramatic. <laughs> their money Messiah. That is very dramatic. <laughs> All right, I'm going. See you later. See ya. If you are after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want somebody to talk to, jump onto sortyourmoneyout.com and click on Get Help and I'll be able to put you in touch with an advisor or a mortgage broker who can actually sit down with you or have a Skype or a Zoom meeting and really work out what you need based on your own personal circumstances. My Millennial Money supports A21. A21 is a non-profit organization that exists to abolish slavery everywhere. These guys rescue real people from human trafficking across the world. If you want to learn more about how you can contribute to the fight against human trafficking, check out a21.org forward slash au. I run a money podcast and a lot of people are like, wow, you must know so much about the markets, investing and all that stuff. Well, the truth is I have some secret sauce. Every day I use the Australian Financial Review app as part of my subscription and it just keeps my finger on the pulse with what's happening around the world in Australia in relation to companies, politics, all the stuff. So you can also be like me. Well, you probably don't want to be like me. However, you can also get access to all the stuff that I use to prepare podcasts and keep my finger on the pulse. So if this type of analysis and information is something that you want to plug into your life, you might be thinking, what can I do? Well, you can invest in your success with a subscription to the Financial Review. Subscribe during the end of financial year sale to save 50% or more for your first three months. Visit afr.com forward slash subscribe. That's afr.com forward slash subscribe. The offer ends on 30th of June. Terms and conditions apply. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.